I'd like to work a little bit on um, just as a, as a we'll see how far we get with it and then maybe we'll slowly navigate our way back to the message to show him I'd like to speak a little bit as a general point about relating to our bodies in different ways and specifically we'll begin with the tongue the interesting thing about Lashon Hara is it's not referred to as Dibur Ra, which may have been a more appropriate thing to call it. Lashon Hara means bad tongue. Um, the problem with Lashon Hara, of course, is not, is not the tongue. It's the speech. But you use the tongue to enunciate the words and proclaim the speech. So it's quite interesting why the Gemara uses the expression Lashon Hara as describing degrading talk. Why? So, I'd like to go through a sugya. It's a sugya in Erchin, which discusses the sugya of tongue. Exactly how it pans out in terms of I'm maybe Erchinen. Mishum Rabbi Yosi ben Zimra. So Rabbi Yochan says in the name of Rabbi Yosi ben Zimra. My dictive, whenever the Gemara says my dictive, it means that the following Pasuk has something which requires explanation. There's something not quite clear in the Pasuk, and hence the Gemara will say my dictive doesn't mean that it's written. There's something a little bit mysterious about what's being presented in this verse. What is it? And it quotes the pasuk from Tilm, which says, "Ma yitain lecha, uma yosef lach lashain remia." What can I give you, and what can I add unto you? Oh, deceitful tongue! The O is added in parentheses, not part of the text. What can I give to you? What can I add to you, deceitful tongue? So, what's not clear in the Pasuk is who's on the other side of this Shaklantaria. Who's saying, what can I give you? Who is, who's speaking? So the Gemara comes, Rabbi Yochanan, Shem Rabbi Zimra, and elaborates as to who the subject, the discourse, the dialogue is going on between. It's the Eivish Alei, Hashem. Hashem is speaking. Hashem is speaking to the tongue. Hashem speaks to the tongue. Obviously, this is metaphorical. And Hashem says to the tongue, The Eivish zum dem Tzung. That's how you say tongue in Yiddish. I think so. If not, no one present will ever know. Says HaKadosh Baruch to the tongue, Call a varav shel adam zukufin. All the <coughs> body parts, the external limbs, the limbs of a man, are upright. Person is created as a, as a zokuf, so he's standing. When he stands, Daniel, Kinak, come inside, come inside, come, come, come sit down around the table. Sit next to you, oh, Oleg. Make yourself at home. So we're talking about the tongue here. The tongue. The tongue is mightier than the sword. They say. 
let's try to discuss why that could be true. The tongue is mightier than a sword. All your, all your, all your. Is it? Nah. Same thing. Same thing. Nah. But the saying is pen. Nah. The tongue. The tongue is mightier than the sword. It's the famous saying. The tongue is mightier than the sword. There's two gears. It's different gears. The old gears says tongue. Again, probably in, pa- in Canada they weren't sure how to spell tongue, so they write pen. They didn't know how to spell pen. They couldn't. They could never get the U E at the end. Do Americans still spell? Probably Americans spell tongue T U N G. No. Tongue? How are they going to spell tongue if they spell tongue? T-U-N-G I think it's T-O No, T-U-N-G, tongue Tongue So, Bikitsa The sword is mightier No, it's not The tongue is mightier than the sword Why is that so? So, all the the body parts A person's created upright That's what the Abishta says to the tongue He says but you're lying down, meaning the tongue is an exception to the rule of the physical anatomy of man, because everything else goes upwards and downwards. It's hor- it's vertical, whereas the tongue tongue, no, it's not the tongue. The tongue, the tongue, is um, horizontal. It's lying down. All a man's limbs are external. Vato and you tongue, mi bifnim, are internal. Veloy oid ela, and not only that, but when we, whenever you have the expression veloy oid ela in a Gemara, it means I'll tell you an even greater chiddush. So we'd have to understand what the direction of the chiddush is going in. But let's read it through and see what it says. Anyway, veloy oid ela, sheikafti lechash tei I have surrounded you with two walls. Achas shall etzem, one of bone, the achas shall basar, and one of flesh. And then the Gemara sums up and it says, What else can I give you? So now we see that this discourse is occurring between the Eibishta and der Zung. Assuming that that's the right Jewish word. That the Creator speaketh unto the tongue. And so doth he say, O tongue! Seemingly the thrust is, I've created you in a way that you're protected and you won't lash out. What else can I do for you? And then the Gemara explains what is the protective measures that the Rebishta has created for the tongue. And he says, they are fourfold. Karnak, fourfold. And the eyes follows. The tongue is in a state of slumber. It's lying down. It's sleeping. One can almost feel what the heaviness of sleep is. That sense of drowsiness, of inactivity. Whereas all the other limbs of a man are standing up. The Maral explains what this means is that the tongue is created in its default position as inactive. It's a non-speaker in its default position whereas all the other limbs are there and ready to go. That's what standing always implies. Standing implies, lying implies that you're inactive. 
that you have to get up and go, whereas standing means you're ready to go. So in terms of accessibility, one would think that the other limbs are for, far more ready to go and accessible than the tongue, because the tongue lieth down, whereas all the other limbs standeth up. First differentiation, second differentiation. Not only are the limbs standing up and ready to go, but they're external, meaning there's nothing obstructing them. They're there and they're ready, whereas the tongue is internal, so it has to come out. And not only that, but... So it's already got these two, as it were, protective measures to stop it from lashing out. It's inactive by its creative positioning, and it's not ready to go because of its internal location and then a further two measures of protection have been put to stop the tongue from lashing out and they are the teeth and the lips the two barriers which actually stop the tongue from saying anything because if you notice when your teeth are sealed and your lips are closed it's very hard to communicate with 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 closed teeth you can struggle a, a certain amount of meaning but when you in other words they actually it's not only that they trap the tongue behind them but they actually stop the tongue from being an effective means of communication the teeth restrict it and the lips seal it so there's it's not what you start to see from this approach in the Gomorrah is we're starting to look at the way we are our bodies in a very different way we look at the symbolic component of the structure. We don't look at it from an anatomical perspective, but from a symbolic perspective. I think, gentlemen, that's really the first point I want to make about how to see your body. And it's really a greater point in Jewish wisdom of approaching the world. There are many people that fall into the trap of trying to define spiritual truths in scientific discovery. And I believe, in a certain way, it is but a grave error. And I heard a marshal from a person called Rabbi Haron Lopiansky, and I think it's a very effective marshal indeed. And he said the following thing. He said that the success, Chas V'Sholem, anyone ever tried to go to a movie theater, but the success of a good movie I haven't actually witnessed one myself, but there are people that have reported to me that this may be true. The success of a good movie is based on the fact that you forget that there's a movie maker and that there are actors and that there are sets. The movie is only effective if you fall into the appearance of what's been presented to you. As long as you're aware of the technical aspects of the movie, you can't possibly become moved by it. You can't become emotively involved. If you're aware that there's a camera where your eyes are watching the screen, so then there can be no tension. As the villain creeps up against the victim and he lifts his hand with dagger inside and your heart stops. Oh, stop. oh, when are they going to cut now and make a new scene? If, you, if, you, if you're aware of the working mechanisms of a movie, the movie loses its impact completely. And the more you focused on the camera and the takes, and wow, that's an amazing scene. It looks like a, is it from, do you think it's real? Those trees, uh, maybe they could be cardboard. Wow, what an amazing art. Wow. The minute you're in that world, 
so you don't see what you can't you can't experience the message the question is let's say it this way is the universe science or is it poetry I would like to suggest for our involvement in Avoida the world around us is poetic which means you don't look at the underlying ways that it was created that's not relevant the, 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 the impact the effect is what we're looking for to be moved by a movie not only do you not have to have knowledge of the way the movie was produced but in fact it can often be counterproductive it can seep out the, the, the communicative component of what the movie wants to express when you get involved in the science of the movie you lose out on the poetry meaning you lose out on the impact that it has on you and essentially what you do is you undermine the movie director's goal he wants you to be moved and he's using all these things he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't want you to know what he's using he doesn't want you to study what he's using he wants you to get the message he wants to communicate to you so he'll do it in a way that you without going into what's beneath the scenes and behind the scenes you'll go wow and you'll be moved and your emotions will go up and down and you'll be able to be involved and you'll be captured by the creation and the creator are no different the Rebishter wants us to be affected by the way he presents the world to us he's not concerned about for us how it works yes the sun really is static and the, world, world, and the, the earth revolves around us but that's not what we see we see the sun coming up and the sun going down. So it's not that it's important to know that we're revolving around the sun. It's important for us to see what the movie what the movie director has told us. He's shown us a beautiful movement of sun going up and going down. When it becomes irrelevant, for example, Kiddush HaKodesh, so then you have to know the science. But we still say Kiddush Levana. And Kiddush is a fascinating thing. Kiddush we say, look what you did. The moon came back again. That's the perspective of you looking at the moon through the eyes of a poet, not through the eyes of a scientist. Because otherwise, it's, 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 it's considered that you have a zechus to stand in front of a lahakbil play of Vinisha Bashamayim. That's what Kiddush is. It's, you, you almost, <gasps> the moon's come back. You, you, move, you, you become touched, you become affected by the movement of the celestial bodies. Not because you have a scientific knowledge, but because it's glorious the way it works from our perspective. So in other words, in Torah you always measure things from our perspective and from our perception, not from the way they engineered. The engineering is not what we go into. So therefore, it's irrelevant for you to tell me, but you know what, the tongue has to be designed to that because of the nasal cavity and the if you don't swallow and the way oh, blah, 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 blah. that's irrelevant it's irrelevant we look at the we approach the human body from an extremely different perspective and without this approach so you can't really what we want to do which is to lay, reach a level, a level of Kedusha meaning a transcendence Kedusha means transcendence we want to take the physical body and open it up to be something much larger, larger than it is the more you become concerned by biology and anatomy, and I'm not saying there's no place for that, I'm just saying it's limited, if you, that's your entire perspective, it can be limited. Let's now look at the body as a poem. When you look at the body as a poem, it becomes extremely powerful in its structure. It's a work of art. And in a work of art, so form has relevance and connotation. Things which are upright mean something. Things, things which are horizontal have a meaning. They have a connotation. 
So when we look at it from the perspective of art, so we see that we have the entire body which is structured on a prone to activity type of way. We're ready to go. We're upright. The tongue is dormant and lying back. We're external. We're out there. The tongue is hidden and it's internal. The other limbs are unfettered by boundaries, whereas the tongue is secured behind two walls. Do you get the general gist, boys? General gist? You're feeling, you're feeling how it's a whole new approach. It's a paradigm shift in how to see our bodies. To see our body, body symbolically and artistically as opposed to... Is there any way we can sit in the air conditioner? To see our bodies symbolically as opposed to seeing them anatomically. And I think if we do that, we can gain a whole new connection to the spiritual through the physical. Okay, good, good, good. So now we're going to work on tongues. Now, it's very important this because the truth is, before you even start to speak about Lashon Hara, you have to speak about Lashon. Unless you know what Lashon is. So Lashon Hara is not really a sugar to be spoken about. First you have to know what Lashon is, and then there's Lashon Toiv and Lashon Hara. So you have to know which is Lashon Toiv, which is Lashon Hara. But before you have a sugar of Lashon, you can't go into Lashon Hara, Nachon, Ubarur. So what's a Lashon? So we see that the Lashon has a variety of different components to it. Let's begin with what the Ramchal says. And he says, if you describe, what's the real description of what a tongue is? So if a person says, what do you mean what a tongue is? It's a pink, pink, pink uh, rounded piece of flesh which kind of slips around the inner <laughs> parts of your mouth and can dodge between the saliva and produce sounds and taste food. Insufficient. What the tongue is, the tongue is primarily a revealer. A revealer. The tongue reveals the hidden. No one knows what I'm thinking in my mind. The vessel that I use to convey my hidden thoughts is the tongue. So the tongue becomes the tool of revelation. It brings from the hidden to the revealed. And that's its function. What about like non-verbal? Good. Good question. Non-verbal, non-verbal communication and body language. Good question. But the most efficient way of describing one's inner feelings, again, it could be accompanied with non-verbal communication, no question, but to express a deep idea with non-verbal communication alone, you'll be severely restricted. Whereas in, if I want to express my feelings for you, I can show them, but there's always an element of ambiguity. When I describe what I'm saying, and it's complemented by my nonverbal communication, there's an element of clarity. So what the tongue does is it's there to reveal. Now an interesting, however, which that, that's, what the, that's what the Maral says, so that's not what I'm saying. What I thought is an interesting, um, if you're looking at the tongue as being, its essential definition is a revealer, it's interesting to notice the tongue's role in taste. Because if you look at a piece of food, so the revealing means there's something hidden and it comes to the surface. In food, the things which are apparent without going inside the food, as it were, are the appearance, the touch, the texture, the smell. Um, I don't know if foods make a sound. <laughs> uh, hopefully, because of, because of, because of the... 
you know, ask Chris, I was thinking when you like sit and listen to them, it could be, it could be a problem with Avram Minachai. Even though there are, there are Bochim that tiny that some of the food in Eretz Israel, even the inanimate food, has a voice. <laughs> First successful joke for Sam Feinberg this morning. Um, so, so the tongue's role is actually, even in food, it's a revealer. It tells you the hidden part of the taste. The hidden part of the food, which is the taste. That's my own shtikala. I'll call upon him, the goal of a tongue is to reveal. That's, a, that's its role in life. It's to take the hidden thoughts and to bring them to... Now, we have to understand, since that's the goal of the tongue, we have to start reconnecting to our tongues in, the, in that way. If you want to focus on a limb, you can actually do it. Unfortunately, we have run out of time now, but what I'd like you to do is for the next 24 hours is to start to just get a sense of that you have a tongue in your mouth. Because unless you create an awareness so you can live an entire life and never know that you have a tongue on a conscious level. So now let's start to experience our tongue because only by experiencing our tongue we'll be able to get a sense of what Lashon Hara is and then maybe we'll start to speak about what Mailas Hashtika is, silence, and how that works. And when should the tongue come out and when should the tongue, tongue stay, stay inside? After all, the tongue is, is hidden. Maybe its essential purpose is to remain hidden. And it should only peek out from its barriers occasionally. So we've got a lot of um, working to do in the next 24 hours. On Feel the tongue on the roof of your mouth. Behind your teeth, those barriers. Behind your lips. Experiment with not speaking and sealing those two barriers. And um, let's see how that works. And tomorrow we'll continue further in our quest for a new perspective on body.